You're listening to the Quietly Ambitious podcast, and this episode is one from before we rebranded. So if you hear references to Creatively Human, that is why. I hope you enjoy the episode. You're listening to Creatively Human, with honest conversations about what matters to us and how it really feels to build an online business, put our work out into the world, and make an impact in our own unique way. I'm your host, Ruth Poundwhite, business mentor to heart-led creatives. Before we dive into this episode, I wanted to let you know about my project running in July called The Everyday Difference. Every day of the month, you'll hear from a different creative or business owner, who is making a difference in the world, no matter how tiny, no matter how quietly. And my hope is that these stories will empower and embolden us all to believe that our work matters and to give us the courage to share that work with the world. If that sounds like something that would be of interest to you, go to theeverydaydifference.com for more information and to sign up to the project. I can't wait to share it with you. Now, on to the episode. Hi, and welcome back to another podcast interview that is part of my Everyday Difference community project. Today's interview is with Hannah Bullivant, and we talked about a lot of the small ways in which I believe her work as a stylist, as a blogger, as an online influencer is making a difference in the world. We talked about how she tries to make her styling practices inclusive. We talked about how she has supported charity as part of her work. We also talked about her strong value of kindness, and that is kindness to yourself, but hopefully also modelling it to other people. And we also talked about being honest about what it really takes to make it all work when you have a young family and doing it a bit differently to the norm in society. I think you're really going to like it. Hi, Hannah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Could you start by letting us know a bit about you and what you do? Yes, so um, I'm Hannah Bullivant and I am a stylist and a writer um, and I cover um, what I call soulful living, whether that's content around um, interiors or an events and how, you know, how to style your interior in an event to make it feel really lovely. Um, or actually, I've got a lot of content around writing and planning and dreaming and journaling as well. So I'm kind of a, I'm a typical sort of multi-passionate type um but I sort of broadly bring it all together under soulful living um so yeah that's me yeah, I love that kind of broad topic <laughs> of soulful living so as you know um this interview is going to be part of a series a special series talking about the ways in which we can make an everyday difference with the work that we do and there are a few yes. ways in which I see you doing that with your work so I'm just going to dive in and we're going to go through a few different topics but firstly I want to talk about your styling and your approach to it okay um so yeah first of all I'm really excited about um what sort of when when you invited me I was like yes <laughs> I'm really interested in this idea of everyday differences and small differences um so through my styling my I I resisted even calling myself a stylist um or integrating myself very sort of a lot with with, um, in, in interiors community because at the time I was I just didn't really identify with the sort of trend blog posts and five mm. things you need for your room this season and like yeah. I was like that is not why I'm into interested in interiors and for a long time I thought that meant that I wasn't really that that wasn't the industry for me but yeah. um, I've now realized that it is definitely an industry that I can be a part of and um, but the vibe that I sort of try to bring in my writing and in my work around interiors is it's not about following trends it's not about necessarily even spending loads of money um but it's just about amplifying the joy amplifying joy in the spaces that you have around you um, and how you can make your space feel like it's a reflection of you and your personality and how you can make it work for the people who live in there so from a practical point of view how can you increase the sort of feeling of flow and energy and calm Mm. Um, so that's what makes me really excited. Um, and I am generally very interested in the concept of home. Um, and I do quite a lot of reading about it. Um, and it's actually a really important concept, um, uh, you know, and, and an important thing, both physically and uh, sort of emotionally as well, this mm-hmm. concept of home. Um, and I think that you know, we spend a lot of time in our homes. It's where we sleep and, it, you know, we, if you have a family, it's, you, you know, where you're raising your family and having relationships. Um, and it's often where we're um, really vulnerable and relaxed and our most 
um, ourselves. So I think having a home that feels supportive of you and safe and nurturing is, is really important. It has a really big effect on how we feel and how we're able to be with our families and how we're able to do the work that we want to do in the world. So, um, yeah, so home for me is actually a really important thing. And I think it's quite overlooked. Um, and I think possibly the reason that for years I felt like it was frivolous and unimportant, that's probably, <laughs> can talk about that in a minute, it's, it's, um, I think there's probably some patriarchal bollocks um, in the background there because generally, traditionally, home has been the realm of women. Mm. Um, clearly not anymore as much. Um, but, you know, I actually think that home is an important thing. Um, and I, I rent my home um, and I really try to make sure that my content is inclusive of people who don't own mm. um, and even in the, that it even works for people in temporary accommodation as well. Um so I, I write a column about living as well in for a magazine, and I always I'm very aware of uh, the privilege of renting. Do you, even, do you know what I mean? Mm. And, and that it's a privilege to own, and yeah. just trying to be aware of the fact that people have different living situations. Um, but but my try to make my advice applicable across the board. So um, I love that. Yeah. So yeah. So that's sort of my that's how I try to integrate myself into the interiors and styling community. Um, and I guess I have a similar approach to events as well. So that's increasingly part of my portfolio now um, is that people hire me to style and style their events. Um, and again, so much of my event styling is about how guests feel at the, in the yeah. space rather than how it looks, although how it looks is a huge part of it. Um, and I very much approach creating an event um, almost like as an act of love. I know that sounds really <laughs> cheesy. So that when people come into the space, they feel loved in the way that it's put together and, yeah. um, and welcome. And um, so I've got an ebook called A Soulful Gathering. Um, and yes, there's, there's tons of practical styling tips in that, like loads of ways to you know do a napkin and things like that. But a lot of it is just actually about hosting um, and about, you know, uh, the sort of community aspect of gatherings as well as the sort of styling of it as well so um yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> that was quite a long gap. oh no it's really <laughs> interesting because I was just thinking about how I've been to events that you have styled and I can I get that feeling and it's really also interesting how you mentioned how it's frivolous and stuff because that's kind of how I used to feel about it but having experienced it and hearing your philosophy behind it and sort of being a bit more mindful about how I feel in these situations, I realise it does make a difference. It really does make a difference to how you feel when this kind of care has been taken. Yes, and I've been to so many events now, like both as a stylist but and as a guest. Um, and I've been to it, and and I have I can see the difference in the attendees as well. Like when, yeah. um, and often food is a part of that. I know, but it's like you know that's a key part of it, and it's just the ways that you can make your guests feel comfortable and welcome and warm and cozy, you know, like, um, and it, 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 that has an impact about how they, how much they relax into the event, how much they open up about the content, how much they're willing to discuss, you know, how you set up a space has an impact on how, whether people will, will, um, talk to each other. You know, there's all these, there's all mm. these kind of elements to think about, um, that I, I really, I mean, I'm really interested in that. Yeah. I love that. And also it's, how you mentioned how you try to be inclusive and recognize everyone's different positions um, yeah circumstances and I think that matters as well like people just feeling like they've been seen it, it matters yes definitely oh yeah really try got still lots of learning to do but yeah really yeah, try of course yeah it's always something that you can work on but it's important mm. to think about. And when I was reading your ebook, because I bought it and I, I you know what, I, I didn't consider myself to be perhaps the target audience because I'm not really very good at this stuff, like styling. <laughs> but it was so accessible and I loved the tone of it. It's so beautiful, but it's also accessible. And that made a difference to me because sometimes I think on social media, everything can be so beautiful and so staged yes. and sometimes and I'll be honest sometimes I don't want to show my house like on Instagram stories because I feel mm -hmm. a bit embarrassed yeah <laughs> yeah oh I'm pleased that yeah you you find it accessible and that's kind of that I'm trying to that's where I'm trying to set myself um so there are some accounts um that I follow and love um although I recently I've, I've actually started to unfollow some of them but the mega accounts that post the most beautiful mm. editorial vogue level 
like content. Mm. So and I think there is a space for that. But I think I had filled my feed too much with that. <laughs> so and, and it can yeah. leave you feeling a bit inadequate, can't it? So, um, yeah, uh, yeah, I think um, I'm very much trying to, to sort of aim myself at people who um, know that they'll never reach that vogue, <laughs> you know, mm. like completely editorial, very wealthy sort of, you know, and it's actually a bit more practical and a bit more you know, like, how can I do this with the budget and the space that I've got, you know? And yeah. yeah. And in doing so, you just, you sort of give people permission to, you know, feel a bit better about their space in whatever small yes. way they can. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully empower them that, that they, they do have the skills, you know, that with a simple, mm-hmm. there's a few simple things that you can do to make your space feel better and that it's worth the time and effort because it'll make you feel so much better and your family and yeah. So am I right in saying that you have done some styling work for charity events? Yes, I have. Um, let me think. So I think the the, the sort of one that um, I've loved doing recently is um, set styling up uh, a the Christmas table for, um, it's called Canterbury Christmas Dinner for Care Leavers. Mm. Um, and it's a Christmas dinner put on on Christmas Day for people who would um, otherwise be alone. So um, it's a it's a brilliant cause, um, and again, I've I, I've really loved setting setting that up, and um, yeah, hopefully creating a, a really beautiful, thoughtful environment for um, for those people for Christmas Day. So yeah, that that's been something I've done, and it's something that I'd like to do more of as well, especially as my kids get older and I've yeah. got a bit more childcare. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's interesting because when it's a charity event like that. And it, it makes you think about how, you know, styling can make a difference. Yes. And um, I had really lovely feedback from the events as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it I think, it, yeah, it helped people really enjoyed it. And um, just I mean, it's not it's not anything really fancy. I, I sort of use all my props, but it's just lots of candles and fairy lights and, um, you know, and then the other volunteers arrange delicious food. And, yeah, it's just kind of trying to create a really lovely a lovely day for them um really so mm. and I guess that's just one way in which you can take your paid work and do a portion of it for something that matters to you and I know another way in which you're doing it is by no by donating a small percentage of your profits from the sale of your ebook which I just love because it's so yes. simple and so kind yeah. of easy yeah more of us should just be thinking like that I guess yeah I think um generally I think it's just a nice thing to have off so if I have if I have stuff for sale, I, A, I always try and have community spaces, like pay what you can spaces, um, mm. and B, I try to give a proportion of the ticket sales as well to charity. Um, just kind of one of the part of my business values, I guess, like just trying to trying to do that. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the way I was thinking of it is sometimes we think, don't we, like that stuff like that is something you can do in future when your business grows. But actually it's possible, as long as you're doing it um, – you know, a percentage that works for you in terms of what you're earning Mm. and stuff, you can do it now in small ways. Yes. Yeah. I've, you know, my business is still very much growing. And sometimes the amounts that I'm able to donate are very small because it sort of just depends on sales that month. But like, I still think, I don't know, it's just better. It's just better than nothing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's kind of a classic example of a everyday difference, isn't it? It's something is better than nothing. (laughs) Um, I wanted to go back a bit about the styling and ask you about how you bring nature in because I think this is when I started following you quite a while back. Um, you were writing a lot about, and you still do, um, how to incorporate small, slow living nature moments into your daily life. And you also incorporate nature into the styling that you do. So I'd love to talk a bit yes. about why that's so important to you. Yes. So I have a bit of a typical um, uh, sort of London Exodus story in that um, I lived in Southeast London for 10 years um, and absolutely loved it. Um, uh, But it became increasingly expensive during the time that we lived there um, and we just couldn't afford it anymore, the rent. So we ended up moving out of London to Kent to a small town where I'm still now. Um, And it was a major, major culture shock. And um, I would say it took me at least a year to settle into the very, very different pace of life um, of, of my small sleepy town. Um, but it ended up being very, very good for me. Um, it took quite a while for the changes to set in and for me to truly slow down. Um, but having literally no options of things to do 
was really challenging at first for me. Um, but where we live, we're 10 minutes from the sea and 10 minutes from the woods. So we're, um, yeah, so I can literally walk from the front door through town and out onto marshlands. So it's really, really beautiful. I just sort of, I've, I've actually got a blog post about it and it's how I rewilded myself. <laughs> so I can, yeah. Um, but it's just that process of um, instead you know, not having any plans. Like in London, I'd be out trying to go to galleries and um, coffee shops and do all the stuff that London has. Um, but here it was like, let's go to the woods. Let's <laughs> go and splash in some puddles. Like, <laughs> let's go. Um, but I just found myself um, absolutely loving it and getting so much inspiration um, and also so much calm and grounding as well. Yes. Um, so, yes, it sort of came from that, really, that sort of... Um, and I always sort of loved to go, you know, I've always, I've grown up, you know, my dad loves mountains. I've grown up walking mountains and stuff, you know, so I've, I, I do have always loved nature, but um, it took this move out of London to kind of, um, and less to do to sort of make me slow down and appreciate it. So from a, from a sort of mind perspective, um, being outside is, is an incredible healer for me. So I go out um now so I don't live rurally I live in a town yeah. so you know but um I step out of my back door I try to go up most days and just sit without my phone and drink my coffee and often my kids are like running around or whatever but um and just have pe- a bit of peace and I just try to listen to what's happening outside and smell and like just have that kind of mini sort of mindful um, moment in the day um so that is a small way that it just really helps me if I'm feeling sort of I'm really anxious or like wound up about something then I um just find the very best thing is to go outside for my mental health like I really love running for that reason um and also with my kids if they're bouncing off the wall or if you know if things are feeling particularly fraught or if there's lots of arguments or if things are feeling tense and um, going outside almost immediately alleviates the pressure yeah. on our family um and yeah, so it's just that it's that learning process of for me as as an individual, um, but also as a family, um, you know how how being outside um, really helps. Yeah. Um, and yes, I also really try to incorporate it into my styling. So that's kind of like what, what whatever job I do, I or I always try to ground it in the season that it's in. Um, so you can't always do that. Sometimes if you're styling um, for a magazine or something, <clears throat> you have to do it like a year or six months right. but in advance and fake it. So, you know, that's sometimes a bit jarring. But generally, I'm trying to take my inspiration from the season that we're in and use the colors, the flowers, the textures um, that are currently in season. Um, I just, I, yes, just how I kind of how I've always worked um and I, I just love that so much of it is for free so you don't need you know you don't need luxury flowers um you know sometimes it's nice for those but you can just use what's growing around you you know um but please forage responsibly have to say that um so you know just to get little bits of branches or or single stems and uh, yeah I think that living seasonally is just like you said it's just brings you back to that sort of mindfulness it helps me so much and I love you know I love the really simple suggestions you give in your blog and your emails to appreciate you know whatever is going on in nature that month it makes so much difference so much difference yeah it's so exciting now like um as we're recording it. it's actually we're having a very early rainy June but um it's so lush and green like because I've got into my garden this year I actually um it really changes how I how I'm feeling about the rain and um, but as a result of all the rain that we've had my town is so lush it's so lush all the grass is so lush and green and the trees and the plants are all completely thriving and it smells so lovely so like um you know it's even just being having that awareness of of um you know I guess that's just through through years of doing it but like yeah. I can really enjoy it and then I, I like opening we've got um in our rented house we've got um, sliding glass doors in our kitchen which I, we absolutely love but in the rain the other day I just had them open um, and my kids go out in it they think it's hilarious and yeah just listening to it <laughs> so um, yeah sorry I've kind of gone on a tangent there oh, no, it's funny what you said about <laughs> gardening and rain because I realized this lately like I'm now happy when it rains because it's good for yeah. the garden but it's good it's good to appreciate it isn't it like it's not bad rain but yeah I was also going to ask you a bit about because you mentioned how you found the whole styling work a bit frivolous. Like, how did you overcome that and believe in what you're doing and why it matters? Um, how did I overcome that? I think <laughs> just through a process of sort of probing and questioning why it was that I felt like that. Um, 
it was sort of acceptance as well um confidence maybe mm. but um the realization that interiors was my, like my first love um that as a teenager I spent my pocket money on interiors magazines and like things for my bedroom rather than like clothes <laughs> um, and used to get excited about going to Hobbycraft and Ikea with my aunties and cousins and um you know and I used to just move my furniture around at weekends and like <laughs> I just have always always loved um loved interiors and home stuff um and I think I so I journal as well I really love journaling we haven't even t- touched on that yet but um I really love journaling and I think I was journaling and um around some stuff about I think it was about career stuff but it was like what did you do what did you love as a child and and I was like oh my god it was interiors that's what I loved as a kid mm. um and you know yeah so that was it was sort of a few different things um but also realizing that um when I thought about how I why I loved interiors um it was less about the sort of trends and the fashions and more about the feeling of home and how I can help people feel at home in their home and that also helped me to sort of find my niche and I'm still very much I'm still in the process of doing that and I want to create more content around this and so yeah I think maybe acceptance um realizing that you can be in an in any industry there's thousands it won't maybe not thousands but there's many many different ways that you can show up in an industry and be a part of an industry and you know or you can maybe cross between one industry and another and you can forge your own path and do you know have your own values within Mm. that industry rather than following what you think you should do yeah um yeah there's that as well so would you say that you've got this part of yourself that needs your work to mean something more? Because this is how I feel about my work. And sometimes I find I put a lot of pressure on it and I can't see the value that it does have because I'm putting so much pressure on myself. I don't know if that makes sense. but Yes, it really does. I'm an INFJ, so it makes yes, me... Yes, I think I might be yeah. an INFJ. I mean, I get the feeling that you could be. <laughs> yes, I yeah. think I'm an INFJ. Idealistic. Yes, idealistic, wanting to serve and yeah. make a difference and stuff. Um, definitely. So I started my career, um, well, like maybe my full-time career anyway, as um, in student politics. So I did two full-time years in my students' union representing students and um, took that very seriously. Um, really, really loved that job. I was, yeah, president of, <laughs> president of my SU um, and really kind of, I was like, right, this is my calling. I want to represent people. I'm really mm. good at it. Um, and so and at the time I, I volunteered with Fair Trade for years, overdoing my degree. I was like, right, I want to do I'm gonna do international development. This is my calling. And I just could not get a job. I couldn't even like give myself for free to the to the development organizations because it's such a popular wow. industry. Um and it um actually relies um on people have being able to afford to work for free or yeah, travel extensively yeah. or like it's actually it's a bit problematic and I, I couldn't. So um I ended up having to really rethink um and ended up in consumer advocacy, which was interesting in some ways, but generally I found it a little bit um it clashed against me a bit because mm. I wanted to ultimately do something sort of creative. Um and that's the thing. I think for me I've always been pulled between trying to like change the world and trying to like make art. You know, that they're the two yeah, things that I yeah. sort of bounce between. Um and I suppose I'm now making peace with the fact that I, you know, it was it was through maternity leave um that I ended up really putting time and energy into my blog and that ended up being I was able to turn my blog into a career, which is fantastic I'm really grateful for. Um and that felt really great because it was creative and hands-on, but I still had this niggle at the back of my mind that, oh, God, but this is pointless and meaningless, you know, yeah. the world, world's going to shit, you know, I don't want to, you know, anyway. So, um, but yeah, I think I just decided to make peace with with who I am because that's ultimately who it is, what it is, isn't it? And yeah, try to yeah. use the skills I've got to make a difference um, and embrace the fact that me simply doing what it is that I love or taking up spaces itself a little bit of a radical act um um, and I want to I do want to do more I want to use my platform and my work to to do more um so always learning but um always learning yeah so it sounds like the fact that your work is so much about you and if you have this desire to do better and always learn and always improve then that's going to play out in your work as well basically yeah I hope so So I'd love to dig into one of your core business and life values, which I know is kindness. I'd love to dig into this and 
maybe you can talk a bit about how this applies to your work and the way you conduct yourself online as well. So the other thing that I um, that I do and absolutely love is um, I've got an e-course called the Life Book, um, and this is mm-hmm. this came out of um, a process, a personal process that I did for years before I sort of released it um, more widely, um, and it's like kind of a personal appraisal, um, and it's a like. A, a structure that enables you to sort of step back from your life and assess the sort of breadth of it and figure out you know is this actually what I want or am I heading you know is this where I thought I'd be and what do I want and how how, how do I want to get there so it's you know big kind of big life questions and um, and then a big part of it is then making it super practical and then making some real concrete steps and holding yourself lovingly accountable um but such a huge part of that is kindness mm. um and that's from um bitter learning so when I first did this process I think it it was a uh, it was um sort of based on um kind of beating myself up and even maybe self-loathing and the goals that I was making were based on the fact that I thought that I wasn't good enough um mm. and basically Tara Moore who um the author of Playing Big introduced me to the concept of gift goals rather than should goals mm. um and and it's that aligned so much with my thinking my learning at that time which was that creating a goal because you feel like you're not good enough is probably not going to lead to very good outcomes yeah, yeah. um but creating a goal because it feels like a gift to yourself because it makes you feel tingly is probably going to lead to much much better outcomes um so a huge part of that you know giving a gift goal to yourself is kindness and positive self-talk because I realized again and I now know because um if, if I combine together the sort of free versions of the course that I've given out in the past, plus the full versions of the course, it's hundreds and hundreds of people have gone through this process mm-hmm. now. Um, and I know that people really struggle with this positive, this um, negative self-talk yeah. um, and the sort of internal beating up of ourselves that we do um, and how actually being first conscious of the way that we talk about ourselves and then um, actively nudging that voice to kindness can have really like, incredible results um, and and when we're kind to ourselves it sometimes ends up changing the whole outcome of, of a goal like mm. because or it changes the whole goal itself because you're like oh man I had this goal that like I mean a really big one that's frustrating me still comes up a lot is I had this goal to lose weight but actually yeah. why 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 did I want to do that <laughs> like you know is that because I felt like I wasn't good enough and you know um or, or I had this goal to like double my income uh you know and it's a lot of those are should goals and, and when when people are interrogating, I mean, those things in themselves are not bad. But for the people that um, who were writing the goals, they found that they were doing it from a place of they should yeah, do yeah. this. I should have this income goal. I should have this weight goal. Um, and when they instead spoke to themselves with kindness. Um, so looking back with kindness, or, you know, what are the things that um, I've done really, really well at? Because, again, I think a lot of us look back and, and they are more drawn to the things that they haven't done where they've not got to rather than where, what they have done. And um, that sometimes begets a much kinder looking forward process. And it just changes, it just changes everything. Um, and a kinder goal is much more likely to actually happen as well, because it feels good <laughs> rather mm-hmm. than like a punch. Mm-hmm. Um, but that whole kind of thing, again, is a bit of a life mantra for me. So um, as you can probably tell now by now, but I sort of um, have that tendency to beat myself up yeah. um, a lot. So th- this is a practice for me, you know, that I ha- it's, it's not just like a, it's a, it's a, it's an active practice for me to, to do in my life. Um, and, uh, even recently, the last couple of evenings I've, I've been really tired and I was like, right, I need to, I need to get back to this or I need to get back to this email. I'm, I'm currently, I'm really behind on my inbox. Um, um, and I was like, sending an email now at nine, nine o'clock isn't going to do, it won't be probably looked at until tomorrow. So, or I can just put that off until tomorrow and just allow myself to rest this evening you know so that I, you know I'm still having to give myself that permission in a way um and be kind to myself quite fairly actively on a, on a daily basis um but I literally prompt myself every day in my planning you know what what can I do today to be kind to myself what can I do today that just for pleasure and fun and joy um as well um and it feels it feels good it feels like a lovely permission slip to just like take some time to do what I want for me at the moment probably just into my garden or like just reading reading my book in bed the little (laughs) things like we mentioned oh I I love those prompts do you literally journal on about those prompts uh yes so um I don't manage to journal every day in my ideal life I will get there again maybe when I don't have young children Mm. and 
so I've sort of journal of like maybe three, four times a week, yeah. realistically. Um, but I plan every day. So I've got like a planner. Um, so I sort of um, just start, you know, I sort of write what I'll do every day and like try and have a little affirmation or a mantra. And then, yeah, just I'll just remind myself, you know, what can I do today just for just for like fun, just for pleasure, just for just for to be kind to myself. That's a really good um, prompt. I'm going to I'm going to make a mental note to add that to the show notes because I think that'll be really useful for people. Yes. And actually, I've got to give a shout out. So someone who's really good at this is Gemma David from The Quiet oh, okay. Heart. She, she introduced me to the concept of um, vitamin P, vitamin pleasure. Oh. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So what's today? What can you do just for pleasure? Oh, um, great. And it, uh, yeah, it's, it's wonderful, isn't it? But for me, I, you know, I've, I get two days a week childcare and actually 9.30 till 2.30. So it's hardly anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, for me, it's not like you know three hours in bed but so they're small things and it's just really embracing small moments of calm small moments of joy like maybe it's having a cup of tea um in the garden without your phone or reading a book for 20 minutes or like um for me actually it's going for a run or just doing a quick bit of breathing or like I'm trying to think what else doing my nails (laughs) you know they they are small things um currently I'm just craving I just want to watch like telly in bed as well so like that's that's um you know might just do that for a for a little bit but yeah and it feels indulgent sometimes when you've got a business and you've got kids um but it's yeah it's it's necessary it's so necessary definitely um yeah massively burnt myself out over over sort of the end of last year beginning of this year so um yeah really this year really trying to be quite serious about giving myself those 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 times yeah uh, as small as they are sometimes yeah I'm in the same kind of place at the moment trying really hard to get enough sleep is actually my biggest one so like going to bed really early sometimes and that I can't yes I was thinking actually I'm going off on a bit of a tangent but you know how kids don't want to go to bed because you know it's more exciting yeah. to stay up. I was thinking I'm doing that to myself and I need to just go to bed yeah and everything will be better but yeah yes the sleep deprivation thing when you've got kids is actually real. Like it, it, I think maybe some people are more effective than others, but I found it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of my darkest days are about uh, baby related sleep deprivation. Yeah. It's no joke. No. Um, and it's really, really stretched my mental health as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it can be really, really hard, but yeah, I just, I, I you know, when it Auden's now two and three months and we're um, definitely better this year, but yeah, last year was really, really hard for me for that. Um, but yeah, just going to bed early. I actually still have an alarm that goes off at nine o'clock that says go to bed sleepyhead oh. because I don't often go to bed at nine o'clock, yeah, but it yeah. just reminds me that I have to start the process now exactly. in order to yeah. actually be asleep at 10. Yeah, Do you exactly. know what I mean? Like yeah. otherwise I'm just, I'm a broken person. Mm. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, but yeah, sleep is I think one of the most wonderful um, magical gifts that we can give to ourselves and it's often yeah. really overlooked. If we're in the position to do it, obviously it's sometimes it's impossible, but yeah. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's possible just to go to bed a bit early and make up for some of that yes. sleep deprivation. Yes. So do you think that being kind to yourself helps you be kinder to other people? Um, yes, I think it does. Um, often we're, we're good at being kinder to other people and really unkind to ourselves, aren't we? Mm. Um, I know that's been the case um, for me. But, um, you know, but I think, yes, it does. I, and I think... Um, it's just being in a, it, it, being aware of, of the ways that you know we can talk to ourselves is is itself quite quite um, a big first step because often the, the voices the you know that unkind negative self talk is so sort of constant and um, uh, but really unconscious so you don't consciously know that the way that you might be speaking about yourself is, is like this. So just being aware of that mm-hmm. helps you, but also then you can, sometimes it's useful to reflect that to friends and family or, um, you know, yeah, I do think it helps. I do think it means that you would be um, uh, kinder to other people as well. Mm. Um, definitely. Yeah. And how does this uh, value of kindness play out in sort of being an online influencer? Um, good question. Um I, I guess I try to be strike the balance between putting out aspirational content, but that's also achievable. So, you know, it's not completely wildly out of uh, reach for people. Um, uh, Try to inspire people as well with their homes and events and spaces. Um, 
and uh, be very real as well. Um, you know, try not to put too much of a fake sort of persona across on Instagram. Yeah, be yeah. real about my struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, that's sometimes a stretchy balance to, to uh, strike to be sort of try to be inspirational and, you know, show lovely things, but also talk very real talk about mental health and yeah. sleep deprivation or whatever. Um, but yes, um, kindness, I guess. Um, yeah, I'm trying to just think, um, what sort of, what are the, what sort of other ways, what did you mean? Um, I'm thinking yeah. about the way that you perhaps communicate with people or some of the stuff you mentioned, like sharing mental health struggles or perhaps sharing something like you're running, but also recognising that not everyone is physically able to do that. Or I'm not sure oh, if that's I, a specific yeah. thing you've said, but just, yeah. Yes. So um, I suppose, is it kindness or is it like just basic human decency but well I suppose it is but like just trying to be really aware of my um privileges um all this all the time again constantly learning about that but like just aware that the fact that um as a um white able-bodied um cisgendered heterosexual woman that I am amongst the most privileged you know sectors of society um and it's a very sometimes uh can be very you can be very blind in that um and I used to be very blind in that in my privileges um but yes I think um I have been sharing my journey with running recently um and again my approach to running which is a kind um, yeah. and not about like pushing yourself so hard you feel physically sick and never want to go again like literally last week I did 1k in a week one lap of my park in 10 minutes and then came home like really small steps Mm. (laughs) um but also recognizing that um it is the privilege to run and that lots of people don't can't run you know um so um and I'm still becoming more and more aware of different privileges that I didn't even know I had you know um so yeah it's just um being being aware of that and trying to talk about it even though it sometimes feels tricky um, as well. And you mentioned, Um, like, is it kindness or basic human decency? I mean, I suppose it is basic human decency, but it's not (laughs) something we see from everyone. And I suppose just being open to learning constantly as well is important. Yeah. God, being open to getting it wrong. So much of that, I think, Um, especially with the recent conversations about sort of inclusivity and um, diversity and representation. Um, I, I, I recognize uh, myself in, in this reaction, in fact, but so many white women just are so defensive about it, mm. you know, and instead of instead of when they are um, initially made aware of the fact that they might have a privilege or perhaps they've been brought up, you know, the go to places. But the way you said that to me has made me, you know, you know, mm-hmm. it's quite gaslighty and quite like, um, but you've made me sad and, you know, I'm a good person and, you know, and, and I get it because I probably had those reactions as well, you know, when I first started learning about this, but like when you're learning about how to be just a decent human, let's call it, you know, yeah. and be, and be more aware of, um, of, of people outside of, uh, or what what is what you've grown up with for example you know and then I think a lot of that is just being willing to get it wrong and that can feel really stretchy and difficult and hard um to go shit I've 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 messed that up like I'm just sorry (laughs) you know our our instinct is is to maybe be defensive and um but I think that's uh, I think that's a challenge for us white people to just Mm. be able to get that to 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 be finding a bit of comfort in going actually I've got that wrong I'm sorry (laughs) um even though that feels really hard so yeah 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 totally agree and one of the other areas in which I think that you're quite open and honest about is how you're sort of making the self-employed life work for you and your family with young kids and I just Mm -hmm. think it's so important to talk about this because you know I guess I could go into a a massive feminist rant about it but I mean you know the way our society is set up in terms of work and childcare. um it's it's you're challenging that I suppose by being a family of you know both being self-employed and both taking taking on the childcare and talking about it and talking about what it's really like yes so this is very much uh, a dream of ours uh dreamt up in our life book um, mm. or what we used to call the January book yeah. but yeah life book um and that is that we both freelance um ideally doing work that you know creative work that we love um but that we share parenting um 
I wasn't sure that I even wanted kids for quite a long time, probably to do with the fact that my mum died when I was young and I don't know, issues. But yeah, so I was like, if we're going to do this, I really don't want to do all the parenting. You know, know, I'm excited to do this, but I need this to be a team thing. So Mm -hmm. like, um, so that was sort of from the off, you know, we we talked about that. um, And that is, that's sort of how we're living now. So um, we're both freelance, um, making, uh, you know, taking steps towards, you know fulfilling creative careers and juggling family um and I, you know both of us are incredibly grateful for that and incredibly grateful to have the relationships that we have with our kids um and the time that we have with our kids however <laughs> it's also really 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 hard sometimes yeah, yeah. um and financially it's often a real struggle um and yeah we're often really really quite tight because there's no regular income um and we're also trying to like yeah save for a house who knows whether that will ever happen but um yeah so it feels that that's the reality of it is that we're significantly less well off financially than some of our other friends where one or two of the partners have have got like a sort of uh, more consistent nine-to-five job Mm -hmm. um so, you know, we question that all the time. Um, you know, are we doing the right thing? Yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah, and money stuff is really hard in a, in a relationship. Um, it's one of those things that can really make or break a relationship. Like, um, so, yeah, so, you know, the, the stress of that sometimes, you know, we question, is this worth it, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. At the moment, we, we were on the, we, we're sort of on the side of, yes, it is. Um, and... Uh, yeah, but I just sort of just wanted to talk about that really because that that that's the reality of it. Um, but it feels important and it feels fair, I guess, for us to be sharing it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. You know? Yeah. Um, and if you know, but I also am very aware that I'm very unusual um, amongst my friends, mm-hmm. um, or both online and in real life. Uh, so yeah, it's you know t- that that we're both able to be around. Um, so. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. sort of in a similar position because um, I'm the breadwinner, but I'm around and my husband does more childcare than I do. Um, but yeah, we're both around. I'm so grateful that I can be around, although it is hard. And I underestimated how much, um, you know, the sleep deprivation would affect my capacity to work as much as I did. Yeah. I mean, obviously I have less time anyway, but yeah really impacted it I really like how you said it's the dream and it was this dream that you concocted in your life book but the reality yeah. is a bit more complicated and it's the same for me yeah. it is more complicated but it is the dream still in a way yes yeah. it is it is it's just about kind of making it work and tweaking it's just about the tweaking now yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah and um, I don't know about you but sometimes I feel a bit I don't know how to talk about it sometimes because I'm really aware of the privilege of this situation, you know, mm-hmm. the privilege of having that time with your kids and, and being so flexible with them. But also the flip side of wanting to talk about it more because not everyone else is doing it and just wanting to put forward a different way of doing life, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it's really, really hard. I don't really know what the answer is there. <laughs> um, I sort of talk about it on and off in bits yeah. and pieces. I've talked about it on a couple of podcasts. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, I guess in with most things it's like sort of it's there's a there's a push and a pull and there's a balancing and you know it's about pros and cons isn't it and you know we rent our house and we're nowhere near buying a house that that really is not in some that's not in our near future Mm. and we're at peace with that you know but I think that some people in there you know other people in my in in our position might feel really kind of weird about that and not not okay about that um but you know I'm not saying that one is better than the other I think I'm just saying that it's just about making your own path, you know, in this, in this sort of, um, uh, amongst the shoulds, I suppose, you know, what is it that actually really works for you and, um, what are the pros and cons of it? Cause there will be pros and cons of pretty much everything. Nothing's just perfect. Um, and yes, we get to spend, uh, much more time together than, than most families do. Um, uh, you know, Dave's involved, you know, he knows everything that's happening at school, yeah. all of all of the school friends' names and, you know, homework and um which I know that quite a lot of my friends' partners don't mm-hmm. um, you know, they necessarily um but there are just costs to that as well. And I yeah. just want to talk about, you know, it's not easy. Um and the big one is probably financial and financial pressure is an absolute man. It can be really, really it can really grind you down. Yeah. Um so 
yeah, it's it's a total privilege, but it's not always easy. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's important to share because someone else who's trying to make it work and it is their dream and is finding it a financial pressure to hear mm-hmm. that that's going on with someone else. I mean, that makes a difference. Just yeah, just being open about your experience. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So before we wrap up the interview, I'm going to ask you a couple of parting questions. Um, the first one is, what advice would you give to anyone wanting to make an everyday difference in the world, no matter how small? I mean, I'm just going to say start to, to start small, just start. You don't yeah. have to like, I mean, I've, I've learned this. You don't have to work in international development to make a difference in the world. Yeah. Um, and that actually um, just sharing more of, of who you are in a way in making a difference um, and, um, you know, taking up space with all of your sort of imperfect self is it's you know is itself sometimes fairly radical um and yeah so I think to start small um and um keep going and I guess make it you know when you start to get into the realms of trying to make a difference socially or politically um you will often come up against people uh, you know your own learning that might suggest that, oh, maybe the way I was doing this isn't quite right, or maybe actually that thing I was talking about is incredibly privileged. Mm. For example, there's lots of stuff in the sustainability world that's incredible, you know, mm. um, that can be a bit blindly privileged, for example. Um, but so it gets complicated, you know, that's what I'm trying to, yes. when you, when you yeah. go into that space of trying to, trying to make a difference, it's not, it's not black and white and it can get complicated. But I think being willing to get it wrong, you know, and, and being always open to learning um it are really good steps I think so just you know start small keep going being open to getting it wrong um and keep learning I think is what I would say about trying to make a difference and you can make a difference in so many different ways whether that's you you know your immediate circle of influence so like your immediate friends and family the 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 things you talk about the the activities you do together the you know the books you read together um that, you know there's that but then there's the slightly wider circle of influence that many of us now have on our social media platforms as well um and yeah so it's sometimes it feels uncomfortable to talk about things that are political or difficult but I just think that discomfort is is not necessarily a bad thing and sometimes it's just about sitting in it yeah. as well yeah oh that's great advice I was also going to say um one of the ways that I'm trying to make a difference on social media is um, recognizing the fact that um, I have many privileges um, and trying to pass the mic, so to speak. So, um, and I'm very conscious about sort of, I don't want to do like humble brag, like virtue signaling crap, crap with this, but <laughs> one of the ways that I've been trying to make a difference over the last year is when I'm offered an influencer opportunity or um, an editorial thing, um, you know, it, it, it is to, um, have conversations with the organizers about who else is invited um and uh you know yeah and just say you know this you know i want there to be a decent representation of people and not just people who look like me um, and those conversations have gone some some of them have been very well received and some of them have been very defensively received um but uh yes i think that sometimes making a difference and sometimes um is actually about stepping back mm, or like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've recently uh, given up my magazine column uh, for, for a similar reason. Um, but yeah, just trying to kind of do, take action to, um, and sometimes it can feel really awkward, you know, like some of these brands and PRs I've, I've, I've got, you know, they've almost become friends and, it, you know, so, you know, but it's like, I just think it's the least that we can do yeah. um, to have those conversations. And again, sit in that discomfort, keep, keep going back there, don't I? And, and being willing to get it wrong, but just say, I think that, you know, we need to have this conversation. Um, yeah. yeah, let's, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> um, and can I give my, my space up to yeah. make this a bit more equitable? Yeah, yeah, such a good point. And I'm going to include a link in the show notes to uh, Rabia Lomas's blog post about this, because I know you follow her as well. Uh, she flourished yeah. on Instagram. She wrote a blog post about how we can influence inclusivity. And it's exactly what you were just saying just like yes. using that kind of privilege and power that you have to yes. you know, talk to the brands about it, what, what they're doing and pass the mic when you need to. Yeah. Okay. The second question is, is there anyone you recommend we check out who is making a difference in their online work? Um, ooh, yes. Lots of people. Um, I mean, I've talked, I just mentioned Gemma David, um, who, um, she has this principle of vitamin P and yeah. vitamin pleasure. Um, 
I really love um I love her sort of work and she's very seasonal um and uh really wise I just think she's yeah I just really like the, the stuff that she talks about um um my friend actually vicky spoon moon wolf um mm. she's um disabled and talks a lot about how her sort of health conditions sort of force slow living um on her um, and her take on it is um is just really interesting and um i find a lot of the content that she shares um just really makes me think and i'm grateful you know i'm just grateful for for that um and she's sort of she does retreats for other people who um have health conditions and things and um yeah also learn a lot from like people like Rachel Cargill as well she's a huge huge uh, account now um but just her sort of um work around um around structural racism Mm -hmm. and the emotional labor that she puts in there to teach um other people about the reality of structural racism and and um, structural privilege and you know how, how that works and navigating that as a white woman as well that's been a huge big long journey for me yeah. um but I'm really grateful for her work there um and then there's people like um heart Zena Zena Shah on um, Instagram as well and I just I just there's something about her Instagram that just gives me joy mm-hmm. um it's just really colorful yeah. and um joyful and and I always say this to her as well. I'm like, there's just so much joy in, in her content. Um, and we've got very different aesthetics. So mine's a bit more sort of neutral and stuff. But yeah. I just love her bright color and, and joy in her content. And it really comes across. Um, oh, my God, so many people. Um, I love that you mentioned joy because isn't that just like a really nice way to think of making a difference as well? Just bringing joy yes. into someone's life. <laughs> yes, I really think yeah, I really believe that. Um, God, before, the, before our call, I had loads of people I was going to mention. My mind has gone blank. That's so frustrating. Um, oh, yeah, it always happens, doesn't um, it? <laughs> I, I really appreciate it when people who are maybe not officially sort of working in the sustainability or anti-racism sectors, but are willing to talk about it in their world. So someone who I think does this quite well is Charlotte Jacqueline. So she's another mm-hmm. joyful person. Mm-hmm. She's really honest and um and her absolute love is fashion. So, um, and that's her industry. Um, but she will, she does talk about difficult things as well. And she'll, she'll sort of use her platform to amplify. And um, I think that's quite inspiring as well. Oh, I've just thought of another couple of people, actually, my sort of um, friends who've been like people who've become friends, but um, Ritha from Before and Again, and also Rabia from yes, She Flourished yeah, as well, doing amazing. incredible work. They're amazing. Um, and I think they're doing a lot of work in the sort of industries that I, uh, the lifestyle sort of influencer world. I think, um, yeah, they do a lot of emotional labor there. Yeah, <laughs> um, definitely. So um, anyway, yeah, could, I, yeah there's so, I think there's a lot of incredible people on Instagram and in the online space, um, which is, you might have to search them out, change who you're following to find them. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good yeah. point. Yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry, that's it, I think. Is that it? <laughs> No, but that's it for now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So, where can people go to find out more about you and what you do? So, I am Han Bullivant um, on Instagram, um, and my website is hannahbullivant.com. Um, my blog used to be called Season Stitches, and that's still how people kind of know me. So, um, a, a, a Google search for Hannah Bullivant or Season Stitches, you'll get to my blog. I need to sort that out. But anyway, <laughs> um, oh, and, and I'm sort of Han Bullivant across social media, basically. Great. Thank you. Thank you you so much for listening to another episode of Creatively Human. If you have a moment, I'd be so grateful if you could rate and review the podcast. It really does make a difference. And if you'd like to carry on the conversation or ask a question for a future Q&A episode, there are three ways to connect with me. On the Facebook group, on Instagram, at Ruth Poundwhite, or my personal favourite, my behind-the-scenes newsletter. Just go to ruthpoundwhite.com forward slash newsletter to subscribe. And keep doing what you're doing because your work really does matter.